Good evening. Thank you for coming back this Lord's Day evening, and what a beautiful day it has been. I trust you had some opportunity for some rest and just refreshment and renewal uh, in your spirit and in your body and mind. I want to thank my brother uh, Jack Herb, Jr., for uh, his being our worship leader today. Appreciate that very much. Thank you, Encore, for that beautiful rendition of Amazing Grace. It's wonderful to see our young people uh, using their gifts and talents and voices for the glory of Christ. Really appreciate our teens and the ministry that is given to them. And uh, I just appreciate all of you coming back. Uh, my heart's been blessed in these almost 15 years to see the eagerness, the delight, the hunger, and the enjoyment of the Word of God that you display. And uh, the Lord bless you as we open the Scriptures again this evening. I don't want to be morbid, but I'd like to talk this evening about Paul's fears and how he overcame those fears. And I'd like to begin by saying, have you personally ever been scared? Really scared? Frightened? Very anxious that in a sense you were so preoccupied, obsessed with the concern that you had that it almost brought paralyzation to your whole life and outlook. Uh, the other day I was watching the news and the neighbor to Fossil Shashud, uh, the uh, Times Square bomber, the neighbor of this man uh, was on the TV and she said, was it scary to realize that I was living right next door to a terrorist? I can imagine that must be very frightening. Perhaps you have had a health issue and your heart has been troubled with that pain, that feeling. And many times we suspect the worst or we jump to all kinds of conclusions and it can be very, very frightening. I remember, and it's good to see Brother Ron Spies and his wife Nadine with us tonight. I remember when he first learned that the doctors told him that he had six months to live. The Lord has been gracious. He just learned that his tumor has shrunken. And um, that was about six months ago, was it not, Ron? And he will not be taking any chemo till September. And it's good to see him gaining strength and uh, uh, I just rejoice in that. But I'm sure that was a, a frightening thing to be told that you have cancer. And like Marge Malin was told that she had two to three months to live. I think she has been beyond that period of time as well. Can you imagine losing your spouse? That must be a very difficult thing. That brings great anxieties and fears uh, to realize I'm going to be alone and I've got to make all those decisions. My husband did this or my wife did all of those things. That can be very uh, fearful. Losing a child. Oh, that is so difficult. I can remember when my daughter lost a stillborn. Perhaps you have lost a child. And it's so difficult to handle that kind of loss. We visited my daughter on Friday evening. My wife enjoyed the mother and daughter banquet at Sunbury. She doesn't get a chance to do many things with her daughter. And on Saturday morning, we had breakfast before we left. And 
we came into the restaurant that many times we frequent when we're up there. And I remember this woman being the actual person in charge of Wise Markets when we lived there in Sunbury. She's a neighbor to my daughter Barbie and Terry. My daughter went over and gave her a hug and expressed condolence. I didn't know until she sat down and said she just lost her son. And then her daughter just had her home burned down. What a, what a difficult thing that must be to lose your home, lose a job, lose perhaps the most treasured experience you might have. Uh, a loss of a limb. All of these things bring great fear and concern to our hearts. I wonder if you would turn with me this evening to Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18. And you did hear me correctly to say that the Apostle Paul had some great fears. Now, I always sort of grew up, uh, you know, I was familiar with the scriptures as a child, teen, and even in my ministry, I always sort of put Paul on a pedestal, and I'm not trying to dismiss him and demise him in any way, but I didn't realize that, you know, the Apostle Paul had some very difficult experiences, and it is recorded for us here in the book of Acts, chapter 18. I'd like to read verses 1 through 17. After this, speaking about his being in Athens, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla. Because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome, and Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Christ. Up until this time, he was supporting himself by tent making. But when uh, Silas and Timothy came from the Macedonian churches, they brought an offering, they brought a gift that would support him. And so he was able to no longer be bivocational, but he was able to full-time give his attention to the preaching of the word. Verse 6. But when the Jews opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on our own heads. I am clear of my responsibility. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue ruler, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard him believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So, Paul stayed for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. 
While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him into court. This man they charge is persuading the people to worship God in ways that are contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to the Jews, If you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, you settle the matter yourselves. I will not be a judge of such things. So he had them ejected from the court. Then they all turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue ruler, and beat him in front of the court. But Gallio showed no concern whatever. I'd like to mention that Paul now enters the city of Corinth. I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on this subject of what Corinth was like. It was a city of 200,000 people. It was known for its intellectual pride, had a lot of uh, universities and learned people in Corinth. It also was probably the most corrupt and immoral place to live. I lived in New York City, I lived in Newark, New Jersey, and I lived in Philadelphia. You know something about the city. And I might say that when Pat and I were there, we enjoyed being in the city, we enjoyed serving there, because I believe that wherever God places you, you will always enjoy it. It wasn't easy, it was rather dangerous at times, but the Lord was good to us. But this city was known for its corruption. I would like you to keep in mind that the book of Romans was written by Paul when he was in Corinth. I'll just ask you to turn to Romans chapter 1. We're just going to scan this portion of scripture. But you remember how Paul is talking about the depravity of man and how corrupt man has become. And he probably saw some of the illustrations of this in Corinth. Because prostitution was rampant. In fact, you worshipped. You worshipped the Aphrodite, the uh, goddess of fertility, by actually entering into prostitution. Prostitutes were all over the street, day and night. Paul writes to the Romans here. Now, keep this in mind. He's there in Corinth. And he writes, verse 21. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools. They exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God really gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lusts. Even their women exchanged natural relations for unnatural ones. In the same way, the men also abandoned their natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the penalty for their perversion. Many times it goes on to say, 
God gave them up to their sinful lusts and behavior. This was a corrupt city. And yet, this past Thursday at our missions rally, the theme of the rally was God's heart for the city. And I so appreciated uh, the men that are working in the city, their testimony of how God is using them and the word of God drawing people to himself. I so appreciated the uh, main speaker or the keynote address by missionary uh, David Riddell from Paris, France, or he is near Paris in Oni, France. You pray for him, you support him, and I'm grateful for the challenging word he brought about how God has a heart for the city. And so the Apostle Paul would go to the major cities, hoping to touch many people there that would carry the gospel to other parts. Now, he had come from Athens where he was mocked and rejected and scorned. Very little happened in Athens. And he comes to Corinth here, and the content of this passage I just read, he would go to the synagogue, but he was rejected and thrown out of the synagogues. So that he had had to say, like Ezekiel, uh, the, the judgment of God is upon your own heads. I am bearing no responsibility. I have shared with you the truth of God, and you have rejected it. And then he, of course, was moving his way towards the Gentiles. But we come in this period when you notice some people were being saved, some were being baptized, and in the midst of some success, all at once there's an interruption by Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, and he records for us, that the Lord appears to Paul in a vision. That was not altogether uncommon because, first of all, he was converted by the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to him in a vision. But also there were other times when the Lord appeared to him in a vision and gave him instructions. But it's rather surprising to me at this time that we find the Apostle Paul being told by the Lord Jesus. Now, Paul didn't talk about his fears. And you know, a lot of us have ability to hide our anxieties, to uh, not really talk about them, not to share them with others. We just keep them to ourselves and wrestle with things until they become so overwhelming to us. But Christ reveals that Paul had some deep, deep fears. And Christ reveals these fears. Before we look at the things that Christ revealed to Paul about those fears was, why do you think Paul might have been fearful? Well, being mocked and rejected in different cities. You remember when he went to Derby and Lystra? He was actually beaten so that he actually, on the outside of the city, uh, had to be resuscitated by his friends. Uh, he really took a pounding. He took a beating in the sense of the word that people despised him. They hated the gospel. They hated the message of Christ. And therefore, they transferred their hatred and bitterness uh, upon the Apostle Paul, the messenger. I would imagine there were some possibilities that Paul not only feared the hostility and the harm that might come to him, because that we see addressed by the Lord Jesus, but I'm sure he had the fear of failing. The fear 
of failing Christ or failing people and not bringing to them the gospel. I don't know if there's any psychoanalysts here in our midst tonight, but I have fears. And uh, let me share with you, uh, I don't know, do you dream in technicolor? I do. And I can just take a little nap for 5, 10, 15 minutes and I dream. And I probably dream every night. Now, I'm not trying to expose all my subconscious frustrations in my life. But you know what? There are three things that happen in most of my dreams. First of all, that I lose my car. I don't know how many times I have dreamt that I couldn't find my car. Now, I park at hundreds of places per month. I mean that. I am all over parking at different places. And I don't have any fear because I can remember where my car is. I'm still young enough to remember that much. But uh, I must admit, there are times when I just wake up and just disturb because I'm chasing all over. One day I was in New York City and I knew where I parked in New York City and I couldn't find my car. Up and down the streets, in the garages, the parking garage, couldn't find my car. I think I've been here long enough that you know me that I'm pretty particular about punctuality, being on time. That's another fear I have when I dream. I'm late, always running late. I can't, I, I can't get there on time. And the third thing, I don't know how many times I've had to either preach or be prepared to say something or do something, and I lost my notes, lost my Bible, I am totally unprepared. Oh, I'll tell you, that really gets to me. Now, I shared my fears and anxieties. How about you? Share those with me at the door, if you will. But uh, one of the things that surprised me, uh, that Paul, who was a comparatively young man, a spiritual giant, a godly, powerful leader, a man who understood the Word of God. He taught the sovereignty of God. He taught the promises of God. And he walked with the Lord a number of years by this time. And yet, he has fears. Let's look at those fears. He doesn't deny them. In fact, we're going to look in just a moment at how he admitted them to the Corinthian believers. Look, if you will, again at verse 9 and 10. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack you and harm you because I have many people in this city. Fear is common to all of us. And I don't think there's a person in this room tonight that is immune. The Apostle Paul, if you would turn please to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul admitted here to the Corinthian believers when he wrote to them a bit later. He said, When I came to you, brothers, I did not come with eloquence or superior wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing while I was with you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. 
I came to you in weakness and fear and with much trembling. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not, might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. But he really admits to the people that when he came to this city, he came with weakness and fear and trembling. He was frightened. Now, we speculate a little bit about some of those fears, but I want you to notice that he doesn't deny his fears when Christ reveals them. Christ revealed several things about the Apostle Paul that he was experiencing in his own soul at that time. Didn't talk very much about it. Maybe nobody else knew it. But Luke, under the direction of the Spirit of God, reveals these things to us. seems the Lord says to him, Do not be afraid of speaking. Don't stop speaking. Don't be silent. I wonder if that suggests that he felt like not preaching anymore. Not talking about the Lord. Perhaps just saying, I I don't know, everywhere I go, it gets me into trouble. I'm just going to keep my mouth shut. It says he is also fearing Uh, that he would be harmed. The Lord Jesus says, you will not be harmed. You will be attacked, but no one will harm you. The Lord at another time in a vision said, you're going to safely be in Rome. You will stand for me in Rome. And that should have, and that did, really quiet the fears of the Apostle Paul. But evidently, There must have been some sense in which he was ready to quit. Ready to stop his preaching and his ministry. I'm not suggesting in any way, I am not demising the Apostle Paul, a tremendous servant of the Lord. And who would I ever be to point a finger at this man? But there's a great deal of insight that's given to us. Because I want you to notice, it was the Lord who initiated this vision. It was the Lord that revealed. Somebody else didn't discover this and dig it out and expose it, but the Lord revealed to the Apostle Paul some of the deep inner feelings and emotions that he had. You know, the Lord knows our heart. Sometimes we can disguise the things that are troubling us, but the Lord knows our heart. And the Lord puts his finger, and maybe not publicly, But perhaps in your quiet time, as you're worshiping the Lord, as you're reading God's Word, how many times have you felt and heard the Spirit of God say, that's going on in your life. That's where you are. That's what's happening there. I don't know about you, but whenever I read the Word of of Scripture, boy, I just sense myself and what's going on in my life. And that's how God speaks to us in a powerful way. And God exposes, reveals these fears that the Apostle Paul uh, was uh, having. I, I also thought it was rather difficult for me to comprehend that when people were getting saved and being baptized, he's struggling with fear, struggling with his emotional uh, distress. 
The Bible teaches a great deal about fear, fear that is healthy. The Word of God says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Fear the Lord your God. Serve the Lord with fear. The fear of the Lord is pure. There's a healthy reverence and fear that God's people need to have of the Lord and of their role as His servant. But the Bible also talks about fear that is very harmful. Isaiah talks four different times, be strong and do not fear. Do not fear, do not be dismayed. Fear not, I have redeemed you. Do not fear the reproach of men. The Lord Jesus said, do not worry about your life, the clothes you wear, the food and what you drink. Paul even said himself, be anxious. Don't worry about anything. Be anxious for nothing, he said. Jesus said, you of little faith, why are you so fearful? Don't be afraid. You are worth more than sparrows. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. You know, being a servant of the Lord, and every one of you are servants of the Lord. If we're going to be identified with Jesus Christ, it says they that live godly will suffer persecution. And there are times, maybe not always, maybe not yet in your life in some way, but we will all someday, as we walk with the Lord, we're going to face resistance, hostility, rejection, uh, ridicule. We will all face that in some way if we are faithfully serving the Lord and declaring uh, our love for Him. Paul was not the only godly servant or leader that experienced fear. I won't uh, take the time to read all of these texts, but in Genesis 15:1 it tells us that Abraham was scared. Isaac, Jacob, Jehoshaphat, Daniel, Mary, Peter. I know that Pastor Reed loves and has read probably most everything that C.H. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, has written. I, too, have really enjoyed his preaching, studying the ministry that he had there at the Metropolitan Tabernacle in London. Oh, what a powerful man of God. What a, a great man of insight. I have his book on the Psalms. Each book is that thick on the Psalms, written by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I don't know if you realize this, but there was a period of time in C.H. Spurgeon's life for over two years, where he had such a tremendous emotional breakdown that he wasn't able to preach. He wasn't even able to function as a father, as a husband. He wasn't even able to talk to people. He had to withdraw. He deserted his responsibilities there at the tabernacle. We don't hear very much about that. I'm not suggesting that you think less of C.H. Spurgeon. But I don't think there's a servant of the Lord that is immune to the attack of the evil one. Would you turn with me to Hebrews chapter 2? There's a very insightful passage of Scripture here where it talks about how the Lord Jesus Christ had to be incarnate, had, had to become human. And why did he become human? By beginning at verse 14 in Hebrews 2. 
Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who are all their lives who were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to succor, I'm using the King James, that's an old English term, we don't use that word succor anymore. Nothing wrong with it, it's a great word, it means to empathize, to understand, to come alongside and identify with us. And the scripture says, he himself suffered when he was tempted, and he is able to help those who are being tempted and tested even by these fears. I want you to notice that the Lord, when he does come to the Apostle Paul in this vision, he doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't uh, put him down, but he comes with, with words of comfort and with words of inspiration and assurance. No harsh words, but it is Christ who takes the initiative, sensing that my servant is troubled, my servant is, is down, he's hurting, and it is Christ that comes to our side and, and to our aid. Christ made promises, and that's how he encourages his servant in this time of fear. The Lord comes to him and he makes this promise that I am going to be with you. Now, he knew, I, I'm sure the Apostle Paul knew that the Lord promised never to leave us nor forsake us, never to abandon us. He understood that the Lord would never abandon him. And yet Christ says, I'm going to be with you. My presence is going to sustain you in these difficult experiences. I want you to notice that no one is going to attack you or to harm you. Now, later on, we know there were many things that took place in the Apostle Paul's life where he really hurt at places. People sought to hurt him, mock him, ridicule him. Make fun of him. Make life miserable for him. But the Lord promised, I'm going to protect you. I will go with you. I'm going to protect you from any harm. That hostility that you will experience for the gospel's sake will not destroy you, will not take your life. I'm going to see, and he appears in another vision in Acts chapter 23, you will stand in Rome. I assure you, Paul. You may have some questions about all of this. He was determined. His goal was to reach Rome. But the Lord says, you will stand for me in Rome. And I'm going to keep you safe. You keep on speaking. Don't be silent. You cannot be silent. You must speak my word. Dr. V. Raymond Edmund, who was the late president of Wheaton and Pastor Bumgardner, were you there when Dr. Edmonds was president? No. Okay. I know he was an older man. I didn't know if he was uh, president emeritus or not. 
But he wrote a book, and it's an interesting book. It is always too soon to quit. Always too soon to quit. Has there ever been a time when you felt like quitting? I visited Gloria Gerber today. She's quite ill with diverticulitis. She said, I got up this morning, I had so much pain. I was vomiting and I am so ill and they're trying to know how to treat all of this and care for her. And I, I asked for her permission to share this. She said, I felt like just leaving this earth and getting out of here. She said, I was so sick. Perhaps Ron Spees felt like that some days with that chemo. I understand it just devastates your appetite, your whole system, and it probably really gets to you emotionally. And I think that we need to be conscious of those that are going through experiences like this to pray for them, come alongside them, encourage them as best we can. It is difficult. It seems to suggest here that Paul was thinking of quitting. That's almost hard to believe. This man with such dedication and devotion to Christ. But the Lord had to come and remind him, you cannot quit. You cannot keep silent. You must keep going. And then God, I mean Christ, reveals to the Apostle Paul his program and agenda and his assignment. The personal assignment that he is counting on the Apostle Paul to carry out. I have many people in this city. I have many people in this city. Sure, Paul could say, sure, there are 200,000 in this. And he understood. Um, David Riddell on Thursday said, do you know what it's like to be in Beijing, in Paris, in London, in Los Angeles, and many of these tremendous cities? Oh, that is a frightening experience in itself. I remember when I was just a little uh, uh, farm boy, you might say, a homebody in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. And Jansen Hartman, my director of home missions at that time, he uh, didn't send somebody with me. He said, uh, you're going to be stationed in New York City. I want you to get on the bus and get off in the Port Authority building. You get out of there and you take the BMT, the IRT. You catch the elevated, you go all the way out to Fresh Pond Road, get off there, and you walk seven blocks, and you'll find the little mission there in Glendale, New York. When I went through the subways for the first time in my life and saw all the guys covered with newspapers laying in their urine, uh, garbage everywhere, the stench, people hanging all over each other, all kinds of freaks, you might say, whew, that was a test for me. The first opportunity I ever had to be uh, in the, the city of New York, in Times Square, all places like that. I'm thankful for that experience, but I'll tell you, I was scared in some ways, but uh, the Lord was gracious. I'll never forget that first night. I knelt down alongside of my army cot. There was no bed there. I slept in a room eight by eight, no windows. And I got down alongside of my army cot and I remember praying these words, Lord, you're either going to have to make me or break me. Well, he broke me and he made me able to handle that situation. The purpose that 
our Lord gave to the Apostle Paul was, I want you to continue preaching the gospel. I'm going to fortify you with my presence, and I promise you my protection. The Spanish translation, and I happened to look on our mission's uh, brochure on Thursday, the Spanish uh, translation of this is, I have many people in this city who are my people, who are my people. Jesus wouldn't say, I know there's a lot of people in this city, but I have my people in this city. I have people that I'm going to draw to myself. Would you turn to John chapter 10? Pastor just preached on this not too long ago. And I'd like you to look at John chapter 10 and verse 16 and 27. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Verse 27. My sheep will listen to my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish, nor anyone can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand, and I and the Father are one. I'm sure that the Apostle Paul heard these words of the Lord Jesus. My sheep will hear my voice, and they're going to respond to the preaching of the Word of God. God's people are always regenerated through the Word of God. I don't believe there's a person that is ever saved that does not hear some portion of God's Word. Our hearts are regenerated by the power of the Holy Spirit, taking the gospel, the truth of God's Word, and that is what produces the salvation in the heart of, a, of an individual. The church is made up of people that have been chosen by the Lord Jesus. Some people think that Teaching the sovereignty of God is a, uh, a discouragement in some way to evangelism. It is not. If you know there's going to be people in that city or wherever you are that are God's people and he's going to be drawing them by his spirit, activated by the word of God, you will find great inspiration, stimulation to be faithful in preaching that gospel to whoever hears, to ever someone believes. And God has his people, and he will draw those people to himself. God also provided uh, some wonderful partners with the Apostle Paul that helped him to alleviate some of his fears. I'll just quickly mention them in closing. Aquila and Priscilla, remember they were thrown out of Rome? They were helping him in tent making, but they opened their home to the church, to the people that were being saved. They said, let's meet at our church, probably one of the first uh, cell groups or uh, home uh, Bible studies. Uh, they met in Aquila and Priscilla's home. Then there was Silas and Timothy who brought the gifts from the Macedonian churches so that Paul could not have to work as a tent maker, but 
he could really give full time to the preaching of the word. Tidius Justice, he opened his home, and he was a Gentile family. Crispus, Sosthenes, God was saving people just as he said he would. In fact, would you turn quickly to, in closing to 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6. I want you to see the kind of people that Paul was working with and the kind of people that were saved. Look at verse 9, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Do you not know that the wicked will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor male prostitutes, nor homosexual offenders, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, slanderers, nor swindlers will ever inherit the kingdom of God. Notice the next phrase. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's what you people were like. All these drunkards, prostitutes, gays, every kind of people were in this city. And the Lord was pleased to save many from that kind of lifestyle. And oh, I... You know, I'm sure when the Apostle Paul heard that God has people in that city and he's going to draw them to himself, my sheep will hear my voice, just keep faithfully preaching the word. Notice what Paul did. Let's go back to Acts chapter 18. It says, so Paul stayed for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. Boy, what... A new determination, a new, fresh courage that was given by the Lord. I don't think he could have made it without that vision. I don't think he would have stayed there in Corinth and finished his missionary journeys had it not been for that vision where Christ identified the struggles that were deeply in his life, addressed them, came and promised his presence, his protection, and gave him a sense of what God was going to be doing in this city for the next year and a half. And Paul gets up and he doesn't talk or think about his fears and anxieties that he had, but he gets to work and he begins to preach the word of God, the whole counsel of God, to whoever would listen. And he offered the grace of God. He offered the, 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 the salvation that is found only in Jesus Christ. Even as unsaved, uh, an unsaved believer, pardon me, an unsaved man by the name of Gallio, God even used this man. Look at that passage again. So many times people are hard on Gallio, but Gallio actually defended and protected Paul from being lynched and put to death. God used his partners and he went to work and God was pleased to establish a church there in Christ. It had all kinds of baggage and, and problems. But there was a, a group of people, in fact, when he wrote to the church in Corinth, he says, you are saints. You are holy ones, made righteous in Christ. Cast all of your cares, your fears, anxieties, your struggles, whatever you might be going through tonight, Cast them upon the Lord. And I think that when the Lord senses you're down, just at that time, 
He will minister to you and lift you up and just give you a new shot of adrenaline and courage and a determination to serve Him. May we be looking for God's people in our city. I have many people, my people, in this city of Lebanon. I believe that with all my heart. There are people out there. You rub shoulders with some of them, but many, many more. We, we, de- we can't contact them all, but I believe God is calling people to himself in this city. And God has his people. If we preach the gospel, he'll do the saving. He'll do the work in their hearts. I trust that you'll look for them. You'll find them. You'll love them. You'll encourage them, serve them in some way, pray for them. And I trust that we will see God establish his people even here in this city. Thank you, Lord, for the way you ministered to us. Thank you that you came to the Apostle Paul just at that very special time. And you also said, Lord Jesus, peace I leave with you. Not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Lord, thank you for your presence, for your promises in your word, for your Holy Spirit, and for helping us to understand your agenda for our world, for our city, that you are calling many to yourself. Thank you for this assurance that as we go and share the word of God with people, you are going to bring them to salvation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brother Jack, would you close in a song, please?